You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 522 for May 20th, 2020. That's a lot of 20 things. On today's show, guitarist and vocalist and other instrumentists, Wendy Eisenberg. This show exists because listeners become members. Please become one today for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. It is no exaggeration to say that your memberships are putting food on our table. So, thanks. Wendy Eisenberg has so much stuff going on that it's hard to reduce it to one thing, but the most recent record that they've put out is called Dehiscence. Knowing that I'm different now They say Don't talk yet I can still improve my life Make plans And Stick to them Maybe that's the future we deserve Hard work that never ends I no longer trust the world All lives Wendy Eisenberg, welcome to the Jazz Session. Hello, thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. I uh, Look, I'm just going to come right out at the top here. Uh, this is not going to be a, a hardball-style interview because I just I love your music. And I have ever since, I don't know when this was, but some number of years ago, I ordered, a, a, I think, a cassette that was really a USB drive of your songs. And does that sound familiar or was it just a cassette? I can no longer remember. Um, but I think it was just a cassette, but maybe, I've always wanted to do the USB thing. Okay, so maybe it was an, an actual cassette because I, I do also have a cassette player. So uh, in my mind, whenever I get a cassette these days, it has a USB drive in it. So, But this was even cooler. Um, and I just I hadn't really ever heard anybody who writes like you and to say that is to miss so much because as we'll get into in the course of this interview the you know eisenberg verse is is enormous and there's so much in it so much happening and i just i love every piece of it it's like it was written for me and so i just wanted to say right off the top that i am an enormous fan and i'm super excited to have you on the show so seriously thanks very much for being here it's really it's really great it's my pleasure i'm like welling up that's so kind (laughs) Okay, well, now let me uh, critique the following tracks in order. No. Um, so, oh, good. What, <laughs> what I thought we could do, because there's so much music to talk about and it's so varied, I thought we could kind of think of this, um, you know, from the listener's point of view, kind of as if you were taking us uh, on a tour, you know, around, you know, your house where maybe like each room is one of these projects and we can kind of get a feel for what's inside it and and where it came from. Um and I realize as I'm beginning this that I actually forgot to ask you how to pronounce one other thing, uh, bef- but I'm just going to, we're just going to all learn it together right now, which is okay. um, the the solo project 
um, that begins with a D, and it looks like dehiscence or something to me, but I don't know if, I feel like I'm missing something that I should just obviously get. But anyway, how do we say that and what is it? (laughs) I say dehiscence, but I also might be wrong. I mean, (laughs) pronunciation is is crazy. (laughs) And is that an actual, I didn't look it up. Is that a real word? I thought that was just a word, maybe a word you made up that I just, I wasn't getting the reference, but is that an actual word that, that means a thing? I wish I had made it up because that would make me twice as poetic as I might be naturally and also way more metal in some way. But um, no, that is a real word. It means wound separation. Don't Google image search it. It's disgusting. But, okay. Good um, tip. <laughs> that's my warning. And it's a surgical complication where the edges of a wound no longer meet. And um, I made that record really fast. I actually had a dehiscence on my index finger of my left hand while recording everything. So it's kind of a little in joke for me about that. That sounds like quite an impediment to the particular instruments that you play. It it truly was, but um, mind over matter is magic, you know? I love that project. I've listened to it so many times since I first got the link. You mentioned that it comes from a two, I think, two periods of quarantine. So maybe you can say something about the circumstances that led to you writing and recording that music. Sure, absolutely. So I've been writing songs for a long time, but I hadn't really given myself the time to produce it by myself since like 2017. Um, I, I've been working on a songs record that's produced out with my friend Nick Zanka, who goes by Mr. Lies or went by Mr. Lies. So that's going to be coming out in the future. But this record was a, a bunch of songs I'd written after that record was in the can. And I didn't know where to put them. And they're not produced out, really. They're just sort of demo tape versions of songs. But I just wanted something to be out there because it had been so long since I'd released songs. But as for the quarantine aspect of it, around Christmas last year, 2019, I I was going through a breakup. And so I asked a family member who had a, a house if I could borrow his house and just be there alone for a week. And I would just wake up, record and track and write and then watch Northern Exposure and go to sleep every day. And that was like my little quarantine before we all had to do it. So I've had a little bit of practice. But about half the songs come from that session, and the other half come from last week or so.
So that was a song from Dehiscence, man, which I just, I just love so much. I just, I, there's something about the way you write intimately without being like mawkish or maudlin or like, I feel like I'm getting a look into your life that maybe I shouldn't be getting, but I also I don't feel like guilty when I'm hearing it because it just seems like uh, it seems like you're inviting us, but that maybe you have second thoughts about it. And in a lot of your your solo songwriting, which I just really love, it's just I've never really heard anything like it. I think it's fabulous. Thank you so much. I think that any any of the intimacy that makes me feel a little bit funny about seeing past the curtain or whatever is um, just because I'm a neurotic. And I think the neuroses really comes through. That's all I was going to (laughs) say. I mean, if you have a superpower, use it. That's what I say. Yeah. Oh, my God. What a healthy reframing. (laughs) That's beautiful. That's exactly right. That is how I am still functioning. So I I have learned to reframe it very well at this point. Wow. Whoever taught Um, you that, if it's you, bravo. When we're hearing an album like this, and there's there's so much more to get to, but I just want to stick with um, Dehiscence for a minute. When we're hearing something like this, I know you said these are all kind of like demo versions. Is that we hearing you doing most things kind of live in the moment? Yes. Um, all the vocal harmonies are pretty much improvised, and everything is done just sort of as not premeditated as possible. And is that, in this case, is that because you wanted to get things out or is that pretty much your normal process for recording? Like just kind of make it happen in the moment? It's my normal process when I'm alone, though when I do stuff with other people, I like to be a little bit more deliberative and deliberate. And so, I don't know, when I do stuff alone, I feel like my first idea is usually the best idea. And when I overthink it and perseverate, things just end up, they hit that mawkish place and then I don't like it. So I want to stick with another solo project, and um, generally speaking, I don't like to liken music to other music, but I just want to say, because I mean it as a compliment, that um, I'm a really big Derek Bailey fan, and when I first started hearing some of your uh, solo guitar work, I was kind of reminded of that that world of playing, and there's a record called Its Shape Is Your Touch that kind of very much put me in that in that headspace while still remaining, you know, essentially you. And so um, I wanted to ask about uh, that particular record and just tell us something about it, how it came to be. That record was recorded at my friend Ted Reichman's house for the most part, except for the last track, which was recorded in a friend's apartment. Those are all solo guitar improvisations kind of after somewhere between John Fahey as a ghost and Derek Bailey. So that was sort of a commissioned feeling record from VDSQ, which is Steve Lowenthal's record label, who wrote the book on John Fahey, so it was a tall order. 
<laughs> to try to like wow yeah i had i love playing solo i love solo like everything i love being alone <laughs> it's great and restorative and perfect and holy and i tried to get a little bit of that sensation in that album i think the way that i was relating to improvising on that day if i can recall it because pretty sure that was recorded in 2017 in may maybe or march one of the m's i was thinking a lot about loss and how loss sounds because i think that was like shortly after my band or like during when my band was feeling really weird so i wanted to play around with like absence and so there's a lot of negative space on that record and i wanted to make a solo guitar record that i don't know i mean at my core i want to be more like ted green but in my heart like of hearts i will be closer to Derek Bailey when it comes to like expressions of absence in space. The Jazz Session is the first and oldest jazz interview podcast. It's been going for 13 years, more than 500 episodes. And if you think that's a good thing and something you'd like to keep happening, then become a member today for five or 10 bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You get bonus shows, you get early access to every episode and more. It's all at thejazzsession.com slash join. Please do it today. Thanks. Now back to the episode. So uh, I'm never shy about admitting uh, my lack of knowledge, which, you know, is comprehensive. And so um, I don't really know the music of Ted Green very well. So you tell me something about it. Ted Green is a really amazing solo guitar player who has one album called Solo Guitar. And it's incredibly unsexy, like Telecaster, like guitar nerd, all of the chords, tons of harmonics, like show pieces that are just delicate and like awesome but i can't do what he does he's really one of a kind um i think it's from the 70s uh really really special record to me but nothing i can do so it's more like a guide it's like a signpost in terms of like maybe i got some harmonic ideas from him but mostly it's the opposite of what i wanted to accomplish with my record
if this is a spectrum, and I'm not sure that it is, there's a record that feels like this same approach to solo guitar, except now we're going to make noise and involve others. But I mean, that that core is still there. And I'm thinking of um, the Machinic Unconscious. That record still retains the elements of what we've been talking about. I mean, this kind of like exposed, intimate, artistic core, even though its sound palette is nothing like what we've been talking about. after a book by Felix Guattari that I've only read half of, so I'm a not super Perfect. diligent student. <laughs> also probably pronounced Guattari. I sort of suck. Anyway, so that record was another commission. Um, that was a Zorn that's on Zorn's label Zodic. And he pretty much gave me the proposition of playing with Trevor and any drummer of my choosing. And I love the way Trevor and Chess play together. So I chose him. <laughs> and yeah, so that that record is a lot of the cuts from the second half of a session where we were all in New Jersey and it was a really nice day, very hot. In um, And he just told us to get as weird as possible. And I was really nervous because I was playing with all my heroes. And so getting weird made me feel like I could play the language that I had developed in my rock bands prior to this session. But kind of take it out of a a typical context of rock music and bring the Bailey kind of stuff in there. But I think what I was thinking about mostly was like, I think a lot about Captain Beefheart's guitar players. And I think a lot about Sonny Chirac. And I wanted to get someplace where they were and then to use effects really sparingly because I kind of knew that I wanted some kind of machine element to be part of it. So it wasn't named that at the time. The name came after. But yeah, so that record was just sort of like a, a really divine miracle excuse to play with heroes and make a noise record that can feature some of the crazy ideas I have about space and time and guitar. see these different aspects of your playing like different personas or is it always 
you, it's just the, the context changes. I think I see it as it's always me and the context changes. Um, though I'm very aware that I'm saying that as if <laughs> it's all over or something. Like, I, I don't really know necessarily, like, how I'm going to function in any given environment, but I know, but I have reasonable confidence in what I can do such that I can let the context kind of dictate my reactions. But I've also just kind of discovered through doing so many different things that my sensibilities are particular enough that it just sounds consistent to me, which is a something I'm really fortunate to have is this kind of specific voice. So, um... I mean, I guess I work for it, but it's more like it feels kind of, it just feels like I, I would never lie, you know, musically, like <laughs> whatever that means to you. And so it just feels like all I'm trying to do is be as honest to the situation as possible. And that's how it can retain the through line rather than being like molding from thing to thing with a little bit more authenticity towards the thing that I'm going for, if that makes sense kind of feeds into one of the things that I like about your kind of overall output, which is that you don't seem like you're at all bound by the idea of having to produce a bunch of the same things. It strikes me as a somewhat daring proposition for someone who is, you know, establishing a name and a reputation in the performance world because what you do is so diverse and so varied. Feel free to push back on that, of course. <laughs> no, it's a, it is daring. I, I feel like I didn't really choose to be like that, but I just wanted to do as many things as possible. I feel like my project has been less to be like the... Well, when I was growing into the music, it was to be the best jazz guitar player possible, which is sort of a kind of a lost cause now, because now I just do whatever, but um, or everything. But I think... I just hate, I hate limitations and they feel violent to me and I, I don't like violence a lot. So when somebody is trying to pigeonhole what I do, which never happens, but like if they were to do that, I would push against it by doing the opposite anyway. And I don't think that my music would be as good if it was only one thing because, or if it, <laughs> like if I only did solo guitar, first of all, I'd be incredibly lonely and the limits of being alone would be less fun because they wouldn't be a choice. But also it wouldn't be as deep as it is because I can also do these other things. I think that every artist has this in them, like they could do whatever they want once they reach a certain aesthetic or technical point. And I just feel like it's my duty to kind of understand like how the guitar works, how composition works, how improvisation works and how performance itself works. And if I want to be the artist that I want to be, which is multifaceted. And also there's an element of it that's a little bit like anti-capitalist specialization, which is important to me to be rebellious in form politically as well as like in function. The way you describe it, I mean, it sounds like kind of a feedback loop where, you know, rather than a bunch of discrete projects, these are like all just kind of spilling over from a set bunch of containers into one another so that each thing is informing everything else. Yeah, absolutely. I've, the spilling container thing is beautiful. I wish I had come up with that for it. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. So let's, uh, let's check out another container and let's just hear some of it and then we'll talk about it. Here it goes. I did it. 
locker room I saw it in my head I did it in fraternity I did it in my bed so that was music from a trio called Editrix. Uh, Steve Cameron on bass, Josh Daniel on drums, and uh, Wendy on guitar and voice, and a record called Talk to Me, which is just fabulous from start to finish. Where did this project come from? So I live in Western Mass, and I can't function without a band of rock music. So I found the best players that I could out here, and we have this super collaborative rock band together. It just born strictly of mental health necessity for me i love these people in one sense it's completely distinct from what we started the show with with dehiscence i mean you know sonically speaking but does the songwriting kind of come from a similar place is this are you using this to explore a different part of your personality is it is it kind of all of a piece um i guess it's all of a piece because i'm doing it but it's that's kind of where it ends so yeah, we all write collaboratively. Like these days, mostly um, Steve will come in with like the skeleton of a riff and then we'll just kind of shape it into a song together. And I think that might be the most important thing to my practice is, as like a thinking human is being able to write with other people and to make decisions with other people because the first idea does have to be the best idea in that case because you don't want to like bore your bandmates by like <laughs> trying to winnow an idea for too long. And then you're kind of forced to work with what you've got um, and you have to sort of salvage whatever to make it into art. So it becomes like sort of problem solving. It makes me smarter and more alert. And quarantine has been hard on me because I haven't been able to practice with these people. But um, yeah, so this band, the songwriting process is like the opposite of how I write songs like the Hissons because when I'm writing that kind of music, I am completely alone. And it's usually at the end of a long day of wool gathering. And I'm just trying to listen to what the guitar has to tell me about what it wants to write. And when I'm with Editrix, it's like, I have to listen to how my bandmates are feeling and how everything is sounding that day. Or maybe we're like excavating a song that didn't work for riffs and then trying to make sure that that works. But either way, it's just like, totally of the moment composition. take a moment to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible starting of course with you the members who support it and also the respect sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and dave rabel for the logo the voice of the intro is chuck ingersoll you can hire him at hearchucknow.com follow the jazz session on twitter at jazz sesh j-a-z-z-s-e-s-h and on instagram at the jazz session Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, poetry, and more, subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now, back to the episode.
I'm curious about how much of what we've heard on this show so far, how many of these different projects are you doing? Obviously, at this moment, the answer is none. But generally speaking, are you doing live performances for? I mean, we're recording this interview during the the pandemic, and so there aren't live performances. But um, are you doing solo, you know, guitar and voice things? Are you playing live in you know, clubs or bars or whatever with the, you know, kind of rock projects. What does your performance life look like? My performance life is stupidly busy most of the time. So this has been like a complete 180 and honestly sort of a really needed break. I think the group that performs the least is my thing with Trevor and Chef simply because they're so busy and I live in a different place than them. So it makes it a little difficult. I did tricks gigs a lot. But mostly I've been playing solo for like the past year, at least a couple of gigs a week in different parts of the Northeast. So I'm constantly in the car. And I mean, one of the virtues of living out here is that it's local to Boston and Portland and Montreal and Bur- well, not really Burlington, but sort of Burlington and Brattleboro and New York City and Hudson and Kingston. And just pretty much if you live in Western Mass, you live in the Northeast, vaguely defined and you can do anything you want. So I've been really taking that really far and trying to play as much as possible alone because I don't want to subject anybody to the crazy lifestyle of that. But Editrix tours a lot, and one of our tours got canceled for the quarantine, which bums me out so much because touring with those people is like my favorite. But yeah, in a sense, like I, I'm really busy, and I've been lucky to be asked to play with a bunch of people. Like I played on Okazaki's Stone Week, and just a chance to... I don't know. I feel like I get, by virtue of living in the middle of nowhere, I get to be part of everywhere. And so I've been able to be like privy to what's going on in a lot of scenes and not just limited to one local place, which is really fortunate. I never thought of Berkshire County as the gateway to the universe, but uh, I really like that, uh, that like Western Mass, (laughs) you know, it's, it is, it's the bedroom community of every other city, which... (laughs) Kind of like it makes it seem like some magical fantasy place that, you know, oh, if you go through this portal, you're in. Yeah, so I I dig that. I'm just trying to get more people out here so I can keep playing. I also have a project that is like unreleased stuff of improvisers in the area called Gloyd. And that has Neil Young, who is the one of the directors of the Milford Graves movie, Full Mantis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he is just a gifted like beyond gifted musician and performer and video artist and pretty much can't speak highly of the guy enough. And Ruth Garbus, who's a singer songwriter who operates the way that I do with the intimate songs thing. And then Donnie Shaw and Andy Allen, who are two sax players who play other instruments too. And two of the people, Donnie and Neil are from a band called fat worm of error, which was like a really genius noise project or some kind of band. I don't really know how to describe it except for that it's brilliant. But yeah, so when I'm in the valley, it's not just like I'm sleeping and then like waiting for my next thing to do in the car. It's it's like there's a really rich scene out here of noise musicians and improvisers and I'm lucky to be a part of that too. When you are taking these car trips to play your solo music, what kind of places are you playing in? I mean, I could see d- kind of depending on what you're playing, I could see you performing for all different kinds of people in a variety of contexts. I'm just, I'm curious what it usually looks like or if, if there even is a usual. There's no usual, which I love. Recently, it's been a lot of bars in New York. If I play in New York, used to be a lot of house shows 
which I love because then you can really play the songs for people and you know that they're there. Random clubs, alternative spaces like free bookstores and libraries and stuff. I mean, just pretty much anywhere that asks me to play, the chances are I'll be like, yes, because performance is so totally important to me and it just keeps the music alive and it makes my songs better. Because every time you're doing it for other people, something of their vibrations, which I know Western Mass, hippie vibe here, but something... You're you're on a friendly show, so feel free to dive right into this whole topic. (laughs) Okay, fantastic. I figured, but I didn't want to go too far. Um, You know, the songs grow when they're performed for people and the improvisations grow and it's like tanning a hide or something. So the more people that I'm exposed to and who I can like peak energetically with at shows the better the music gets in the long term so i like to perform as much as possible which means anywhere my guest has been wendy eisenberg and i mean this show has just i hope you're happy with it because i feel like all i've done is essentially fawn over how much i love your music for like 40 minutes and so if if nothing else even if i haven't asked any smart questions at all at the very least you out there in listener land have gotten to hear all this music. And so I cannot encourage you strongly enough to just go buy it all. And, you know, once, if we ever get to go to live music again, uh, to go see Wendy, but Wendy, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I hope you'll come back and talk about whatever else is going on. And I really thank you for taking the time to do it. It's my total pleasure. It's so great to get to meet you a little bit more. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks to my guest this week, Wendy Eisenberg. Next week's show features keyboardist Henry Hay. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.